0: We want to continue today in the second part of our three-part series that I've called Between Waves. And What I mean by that, if you were not here last week, is between waves, you get that moment of peace. You get a moment to rest. You ride one wave, or really one wave overcomes you, however you prepared you were for it, and then you get a moment until the next wave comes. And Oftentimes, we look at our lives that way and schedules. We've gone through this season. We made it to summer, and many of you used all your vacation days over the last 10 weeks, and you try to get and go as fast as you can to wherever you could, as far away as you could, and now you realize you're about to hit the next wave that long haul. And maybe it's not schedule. Maybe it's, there's, there's another dynamic that goes on during this time of year, whether it's just stress of school or some relationships that you're dreading and working through or decisions that you have or financially, maybe this is a, a difficult season coming up or whatever the thing may be. When we're between the waves is the time to make the decision. If we don't decide who we are, what we're doing, if we don't strengthen what we need to strengthen in that time between waves, before we know it, the wave is over us, and then we're just surviving. And then we look back on all the things we wish we could have done, thought through, accomplished, tried to decide, changes to be made, uh, things to be repaired, fixed, whatever it is. We don't have time to do that in the chaos. We do that between the waves, and we're asking a few questions between the waves. And so I tried to picture myself last week just sitting on the beach, Waves are crashing and then there's that lull between waves and you don't hear really anything other than a few seagulls off in the distance and a little bit of the water hitting and there's just that peaceful feeling and it's in those times, those moments of silence that we often come to grips with things that are pretty important because silence can act like a mirror. So we asked one question last week, we're going to ask another one here today. But you may be thinking, well, my life doesn't work that way. And there really is no between the waves. Or if I have a moment between the waves, I'm going to take a nap. I'm not going to worry about getting ready to work again. I'm just going to completely fall apart. And if we're not careful, not only will we do that physically, we'll do that spiritually. And if you're not in a spiritual crisis or a spiritual battle right now, one, great, be be thankful for that. But two, know that it's coming. And there are some people seated around you who are in the middle of a spiritual crisis or battle, and they would give anything to be able to go back three months, four months, six months to when there was just a little peace at home or a little peace in their hearts. And to realize if they had known they were about to hit a really difficult time, they would have strengthened some things. They would have worked on a few things. They would have made some decisions. They would have solidified some commitments, but they didn't. And now they're swamped and they're getting beaten up. So if you're not in a crisis, if you're between waves, this is the time to make the decision. Now, you can choose to do nothing. You can say, well, that preacher over there, he doesn't know what he's talking about. That's, I don't even know that's in the Bible. I don't think there is between the waves. I don't, I don't know that that's something I really need to do. Well, that's fine. But understand that while you're sitting still doing nothing, your enemy is planning something. And your enemy is planning to come at you. Now, we don't like to think about that because we don't understand spiritual warfare, spiritual battle, what's really going on behind the scenes. If I can't see it, if it's invisible, I'm not going to worry about it. I've got enough visible things in front of me to worry about. I don't want to worry about the spirit world or whatever you want to call it. I I don't get that. And I understand because it's easier to sit back and think of spiritual things in terms of, you know, it's just this... Evil sense, or we're living in evil times, and it's not really at me, we're just in it. Now, we do live in a broken world, and there's stuff we're going to encounter just because we're in a broken world, but there is also a personal side to it where there's going to be an attack that the enemy is going to uh, uh, use towards you. So, the question is, am I prepared for that? Think about it this way when we're kids. And our PE teachers were lazy. They just said, today we're playing dodgeball. Like, that's what they did. They didn't feel like running around. They didn't feel like teaching us a new game. They didn't want to coach us through all the things we couldn't do. They didn't want to teach the kids how to do push-ups. I said, you know what? Dodgeball day. So everybody would get in the gym, and you have just a big amoeba in the middle, full of students, and you've got some on the outside with these balls, and they're going to hurl them back and forth, and, or maybe you were so sophisticated, you divided up in teams of 15 and played legitimate dodgeball, but regardless, you've just got a crowd of people. And when you get hit, and you're in a crowd, it's like, oh, I'm out, I got to go sit down. What's, but it's not a big deal, you're just kind of collateral damage. Ball comes in, hits you on the shoulder, no big deal. Somebody got lucky, she got in my way, I didn't see the ball. Like, it's not a big thing. But everything changes when you get a little, we're separated a little from the pack and you get a dodgeball straight to the side of the head. Like when you get popped in the head, it goes from, oh, I got hit, I got two. Like That's how quickly it changes. Or if you're like me, you pick up your glasses off the floor, you put them back on and go. You like, because it's real then. Before it was just balls being hurled all over the place. Oh, I got hit. I, I got dinged a little bit. Then when you're just that kid in the middle of the gym and you take one square to the face, you turn and like what just happened? And who threw that? Because that was done with some personal evil intention. Like That was on purpose. And it changes everything. You don't go back, sit down, and go, hey, guys, did you see my bloody nose? Wasn't that funny? Like, you no, know, it is, I'm going to find you after lunch, and I'm going to kick you. Like, that, that is how we do that, because it got personal really fast. And as followers of Jesus, those of us who are, we like to think, oh, I'm going through an evil world, I tripping up, and I'm catching all this collateral damage from bad things happening around me. Sometimes. But there is an enemy that's waiting in the wings for you to get separated from the pack, and he is aiming for your head. And that's not just a thing that sometimes we say in church to scare people. That, that's a real thing. So the, the, uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, the truth here I think that Paul was trying to share is in response to that very personal attack. He says in verse 10, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. The strategies of the devil. He doesn't say so you can survive in this dark world in which we live or this evil realm that we can't get out of, although those things may be true and real. But there's also a very personal part where there is a strategy, or for those of us from the 80s, strategery is going on here. There's strategies of the devil. He has a plan. There is an attack. So the question that I want us to ask ourselves today, this second question in our series, is if the enemy is smart, what kind of attack is he planning for me? Just for a moment, between the waves, or we're sitting there on the beach and it's calm and it's peaceful, and we have a moment to ask things that really matter, things that we're not going to ask in the chaotic times when we are about to go into where it just feels like there are dodgeballs all over the place and flying and this is going wrong and that's going wrong, finances, relationships, emotions, and on and on, and we're just surviving for a while. While we have a moment to ask, let's just ask the question we probably never asked before. If the enemy is smart, what kind of attack is he planning for me? In other words, if I was a devil, how would I take Chad out? And that's my, my, I'm Chad. <laughs> I don't know all of you yet. If, if I'm the devil, how am I taking me out? Because I'm not sure that he's just on the sidelines hurling emotional and financial grenades, hoping it gets close to me and he'll just take out another one of God's people. It's, there seems to be more of a strategy, there seems to be a plan. So, what I want us to do today is look at two stories in Scripture and find three truth principles in them that hopefully we can apply uh, along the way. The first story is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. We've got this, for the first time, this understanding of evil as a personality, evil as something that is a little more close to home. And in chapter 1, it says, The serpent was more crafty than any of the beasts. Of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. And the serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So this crafty serpent here, this figuratively speaking, this moment, this encounter that Eve has with Satan is more than just, oh, there you are, and look, look, there's an apple. Oh, there you are. Let me see if I can entice you. There was a strategy here. There was something intentional and very purposeful. He knew that ultimately, if he couldn't separate Eve from God, if he couldn't keep her away from him, he was at least going to get in that relationship and begin to cause a problem. So the first truth principle we have here is that the enemy plans his attacks. For Eve, for Adam, for you, for me, there is a plan. And the strategy from the beginning has been to try to come between God and us, If I can just get in that relationship, I I can somehow disrupt the order. And his way of doing that is to cause us to doubt the person we're in relationship with. He said, Eve, did God really say it this way? I mean, he's he's not telling you the whole story. He's telling you to stay away for this reason. The truth is he doesn't want you to be like him. There's another reason. If he could just get Eve to doubt God and just have a little seed of, hmm, then he knew that that would be the beginning of the end. And oftentimes, that's what he does with us as well. If he can just get us to doubt God's actual commitment towards us a little, then he knows he has something. So one of the questions we need to ask ourselves if we're trying to figure out where it is that he's planning to attack is, where am I doubting? And I mean doubting God. Right now in my relationship with God, what are the areas that I'm, I'm doubting? I'm not really willing to talk to him about it because I feel kind of silly. In other words, I could say, God, how could you do this and not provide in this way? God may remind me he's already done that, and I just missed it. Or remind me of the times he's done it in the past, and I wasn't grateful. So maybe there's a reason, but where am I doubting? And we have this in all of our relationships. Um, at times in my own relationship, my wife and I have been together for over 20 years, and, and, and I, we still at times have those moments where she may look at me and think, something's going on there. But she doesn't want to ask me because I might get really defensive or make it a weird night and then we're just not talking for a couple of days or maybe she's just not understanding something or maybe I come back with an explanation that makes total sense and then she feels silly. So what does she do? I'll just move on. I'm not going to talk about it. not going to bring it up. But does it go away? No. Then every time there's a little something off, it's like it festers up again. And there's just this thing. There's this little bit of a doubt, a little seed of doubt. And do you not think Satan is going to use that to try to divide my wife and me? Of course he is. He does the same thing with us and God. If he can just get us to begin to doubt God's commitment towards us, he knows it's going to change things. And in other words, maybe between you and God, what's that thing that you want to talk to God about, but you don't? You know, you bow and you pray and say, God, it was a good day. I saw some friends at church, I met some new people, I I feel like maybe something really happened, I encountered you, or we had a good afternoon as a family, or I'm thankful for the news I got, that text really made my day, it was a good day, Lord. But about the, never mind, in Jesus' name, amen, I'll just be grateful and move on. I don't want to bring it up, because it's probably that little thing that the enemy is looking at saying, "I I can get him, I can get him. Because I know there's that unspoken thing between him and his Lord. And and he's not dealing with it. He's not asking. And he's not encountering what's really going on so I can attack. Where am I doubting? Let's look at the second story here. Move ahead probably 6,000 years or so um, to when Jesus had just been baptized. He was 30 years old. He had began to tell people who he was in a way. And in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan where he was baptized. And he was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he became hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man will not live on bread alone. And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship me, it will be all yours. Jesus answered him, It's written, You shall not worship the Lord, or you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it's written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The nerve, Satan quoting scripture to Jesus. And Jesus said in verse 12, It is said, also, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. So, wild deal, wild story. Jesus is tempted in that way. And then Satan decides to quote a little scripture. Tell the word the word. Say, okay, hey, what about this verse? Because you could accomplish this. This could be uh, fulfilled. This prophecy could be fulfilled in this moment if you'll just do this. And then we find the second thing, uh, the second bit of truth uh, on behalf of this personal attack. It is, the enemy perverts truth. So not only does the enemy plan a strategy, but the enemy perverts truth. Rarely is it ever appropriate to call anyone a pervert, but next time the devil messes with you, you just say, perv, get away. Like, what? That's okay to do. That's what he does. He perverts the truth. He takes something that God has said. He takes something that's real, that's something God's provided. He just twists it a little bit. Notice how he took that scripture and just twisted it a little bit. Yeah, that's kind of of true, but also this. And he did that thousands of years earlier with Eve. Did God really say, in other words, he's attacking his character, attacking what he said. He's perverting and twisting and trying to, in some way, cause her to compromise. In other words, yeah, but he went to Jesus. What about this? Trying to get him to just compromise who he was and his mission. So the second question to ask ourselves is, where am I compromising? Because very few of you are running the opposite direction of where God would have you be. I don't know that any of you, and any of you listening online right now, look at truth and say, well, God, you say that, but I don't care. I'm going to do something else. That's not how we operate. We rather, rather, we take scripture and go, yeah, but I feel this. Well, I know what you said about this God. But I believe also, like we just twist and we compromise, we change a little. Because ultimately, we're trying to find a way to feel good about something we know God does not feel good about. So if we can just twist it around a little bit, yeah, but that was different. That was a different time. We compromise. Where am I compromising? Where are the moments where I know what God says, but I'm putting my spin on it? Because now we're susceptible to all sorts of lies. Because we're willing to create new thoughts and new principles and new action points. And we're looking at scripture going, well, yeah, I'm doing that, but but this. Or I'm doing that, but also this. But I'm doing that, but I'm doing it in my way. Or I'm not doing it the way they did it. Times are different now and on and on. Compromise. The enemy perverts truth. The third principle we find is that the enemy pays attention to my condition. Notice that he left Jesus until an opportune time. Notice that he showed up when he was hungry and said, turn this into bread. He showed up when the king of glory was experiencing none of it and said, listen, if you'll just do this, if you'll just bow down, I'll give you all this stuff. And He's attacking what he knew at that time was a weak point. He's paying attention to the condition. And that's what he'll do with you and me. That's why I have to pay close attention to my own condition. I've got to make sure I know relationally, financially, emotionally, spiritually where I am, because if I'm not in a good place, that's probably going to be a place where the enemy is setting up to attack. I don't know if this is like you or not, but for me, I am most vulnerable after a win, after a good day. I'm most vulnerable after I've accomplished something than I am when I'm on the bottom. When I'm on the bottom... I guess I'm just old enough and walked with Jesus long enough to know I got no hope other than him. So I cling to him. I am closer to Jesus when I'm on the bottom than I ever am any other time. I am so alert. I can easily spot stuff a mile off, And nope, 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 nope. This is God's plan. I'm so close to him when I'm broken. But you let God... Get me over a few hurdles and a few obstacles and have a few good days, and a couple people, whether they made it or not, saying you're awesome. I'm like, well, that's been a good day. I'm just going to go home and rest. And just kind of sit in the fact that today wasn't bad. And as soon as I begin to do that, I know me and I let my guard down. And that's when I'm susceptible to stuff. Maybe not gross, immoral sins, but just not having my attention on the things I need to have my attention on and not being sharp, and not noticing what God's doing around me, and not living in his strength, and certainly not living in his joy. But I feel like I deserve it. You know, I've worked hard to do this. I tried to honor you here. I tried to be faithful here. I tried to exercise my gifts and talents and open doors here, and I just fall apart. So I don't know about you. Maybe it's different for you, but you need to know. So the question to ask is, where am I weakening? We've already asked, where am I doubting? Where am I compromising? Right now, spiritually speaking, where am I in atrophy? Relationally, where am I falling apart? Where am I currently weakening? Very few of us right now are physically, emotionally, relationally, financially, and spiritually just hitting on all cylinders and soaring. Very few of us. Now, there might be some areas of your lives that are doing well or just peaceful, but most of us have an area that's a little soft right now. It's a little vulnerable. We've kind of left the back door unlocked. It's, there's an opportunity there, and we're not really paying attention. And If we're not careful, that's exactly where the enemy is going to hit. If you're feeling incredibly lonely and insecure right now, the enemy is all over that because he knows how to turn that against you. If you're financially struggling, the devil knows how to use that stuff. I'm not saying he's all-knowing like God and he's everywhere you are. He knows your thoughts. I don't know any of that stuff. He's not God, just an evil version of God. That's not the way it works. They're not equals. And one's on the good side, one's on the bad. There's no way. It has nothing to do with truth. But there is a real enemy and he knows your weaknesses and he will attack. So what do we do? How do we counter that? Briefly, three things. One, wake up. You and I have got to just realize what's going on and be alert and look around. Understand that today, if today is a day of peace, that the devil's preparing something on the other side. It doesn't mean we're to live in fear of the other shoe dropping and a bad news. And every time your phone rings, you have a heart attack because it could be something awful. Don't, we don't live that way. God's still in control. But we need to wake up and, and to be prepared and realize what's going on around us. In 1 Peter 5.8, he says, Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour or hit in the face with a dodgeball, seeking someone to pulverize, like he's looking for someone who's not paying attention. He's looking for people who are asleep at the wheel, and he's going to come, and he's going to attack. So wake up. Be alert. Be of sober mind. Be prepared. So wake up. Number two. And I've stolen this from about 425 football teams in the history of the world, win the day. Um, that is a very common slogan for coaches who are trying to get guys to practice better. But it's also a reality for you and me. We can worry and stress about what goes on tomorrow, or we can just make sure that at the end of the day, we've taken care of Today. In the book of Ephesians, Paul wrote and he said, be careful how you live, be careful what you say, be careful what you do. Be careful not to let the sun go down on your anger. Don't be prepared uh, or be prepared for what's coming. He gave all those instructions. And then in verse 27, he said, and do not give the devil an opportunity. And that is right between him saying, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Deal with it today. And on the, other, on the other side, it says, be very, very careful what you say. Don't let your speech get out of control. Say only what is helpful to those around you. In other words, the way you live either is giving the devil an opportunity or it's making you a harder target. Don't create, and this, I don't know how to shout this loudly enough. And this is not for middle school girls. This is for all of us. Don't create unnecessary drama in your life. Don't create unnecessary drama. There's no point. If I know that things are off with my son and me, and me, I can say, man, I shouldn't have said that today. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Like, Can we work through this right now? Or I can let that thing go for four months and then look back on this big mess that I've created because I didn't handle it. I didn't win the day. I lost the day after day. I kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off when I could have just said, hey, man, I was out of line. I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me? Inevitably, I would have heard, it's no big deal, and on and on. But instead, I wait and just let it grow and grow and grow and grow. And over and over, we have Paul writing, just win today. Let today honor God. Because if you don't create unnecessary drama, then you're not going to be giving devil an opportunity to do something tomorrow. And then lastly is worship. Wake up, win the day, and worship. Not just with our voices, but also with our choices. The Bible says that true worship is when we give our entire lives as a living sacrifice to him. Part of it is with our voices. We've done that today. But most of it is with our choices, the decisions that we make, the things we do throughout the week. To worship. One of the first verses I ever memorized as a kid was, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Because um, I was one of those kids who just was kind of into the whole horror movie thing. And I had a neighbor who owned one of the first movie rental places in our city where we lived. So all the movies were stored at his house. And I'm a seven, eight, nine year old kid. And I'm going through like, Exorcist, that looks cool. So, you know, so I'm taking all these tapes and. And I'm having all these nightmares, and I remember going, laying in bed at night, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Resist, you know, I had this verse going on. But then when I got older, I read the whole Bible, and I had memorized James 4, 7b. James 4, 7a, the same part of the verse, just the first phrase says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And I'm not saying God's not going to protect me from the things the devil's trying to do if I don't do the first, but I think there's a reason they're together. Like, I don't want to wait until the wave of crisis hits me before I call out and say, God, help me. In the times of peace, when I'm not running to a rescue, when I'm not in need of deliverance, I want to be able to say, God, listen, things are not falling apart. I'm actually praying, not out of desperation, but just because I need to get to know you. Because I know things are not going to be this peaceful for very long. And I want to take advantage of a day. And I want to know you in this moment. I want to submit everything I have to you now. All my stuff. So that when that day of evil comes, I'll be prepared. And if you're living between the waves right now, now is the time for us to prepare for what's happening next, because we don't know. We have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. We just know we have this moment today. Some time to stop and look at our lives, see the weak points, say, God, that's got to change. I am very vulnerable here, and the devil's going to take me out if I'm not careful. So let, let's strengthen this. Help me to make the decisions here, or whatever I need to do to correct this, so that I'm prepared when the wave does come. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for loving us, thank you for your faithfulness, your goodness, and you are a God who's been with me, you've been with each of us in this room through all of it. Through all the good, all the bad, you know the story, front to back, you do even know how it's going to end, the stuff that we don't know yet, and you've been so faithful. And we're still here, as hard as life has been, as difficult as some of the trials that we've gone through have been as violent as some of the attacks are that the evil one is levied towards us, we're still here. We survived. And it's not because of our strength. It's because of your grace. So thank you for your faithfulness to us all. God, for those of us who belong to you, who have a relationship with you, give us the discipline and the courage to be willing to look at our lives and be honest and allow you to search us to show us the things in our lives that need to be shored up before we take a next step. God, only you know the attacks that are about to come on us and, and I'm sure there are some that you're looking down on now, smiling, knowing that they've prepared themselves and they're ready and they're going to survive this difficult trial. And there are probably others of us you're looking down on with tears because you know that we have no idea how hard things are about to get and we're not prepared. We're not taking advantage of the time that we have now to make sure that we are, that we're tough, that we're strong, that we're shielded, that we have the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness on, that we have the belt of truth, that we have the sword of the spirit, that, that we're prepared to battle. And God, you'll still be there to pick up the pieces, and you'll be there when we are wounded and we're lying on the battlefield. But God, you created us to be fighters, and you created us to win these battles, so help us to be smart, to prepare ourselves. For anyone in this place who's not a follower of Jesus, I pray that today is their day of salvation, that you would lead them home. Thank you for loving us, for giving us a church family that encourages us when we're down, that keeps us sharp, and challenges us when we're on our feet. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.